Well, I think what's going to be really interesting is the fact that I'm all about nonfiction branding, which is all about knowing who you are, what you do and how you do it. And then coming up with a cogent story that is not only 100% completely true, completely you, but also founded in the absolute truth of what you do. I hate to use the word authenticity because it's been butchered by so many people over the years. It's become almost meaningless because we've now got people who are creating fiction and calling it authentic, you know, basically. And what I think is going to be really interesting from my point of view is that you are very clearly the startup hype man and very specifically for a specific section or sector of business. And that is the startup, the true startup sector. And my question for you is, knowing that I'm all about telling the true story of who you are, what you do, and how you do it, how can you do that when you haven't done it yet? Or if you're a true startup, you could be pivoting multiple times during the actual growth of your company from the very, very beginning to, you know, ideally some type of exit that is planned for who knows how many years from now. Is there a conflict between my yeah. position and your position? I mean, if there is, great. We'll have a good debate. But I don't think there really is. My whole thing is, I think a lot of people get trapped on talking all about themselves. And really, it's about figuring out like what's going to be, what's going to make sense for what the customer wants to hear that is about them, something that they would care about. So even in the case where it's a company that may not have like the market experience yet, it's looking at, hey, like what existing conversations have you had? What anecdotal evidence do you have that can influence how you're going to position yourself, how you're going to message? Or at worst, do you have a good enough hunt? If you created a product on this thing, you probably have a decent idea on why it should exist and what it's solving. And so you can go off of that. What's interesting is, and my experience in the startup world is not deep and vast anywhere, probably near as deep as yours is, but I have had experience with the inevitable pivot that occurs as things change, as you get past your minimum viable product and you find out that, oh, People aren't finding it at all that viable. We need to start making changes. And I'm a big believer in the fact that to pivot, you have to have a point upon which you pivot. Meaning right. the immutable things about you, how you do things, what you do. For example, you don't suddenly go from building a software-based application and then become a processor of fine smoked meats. That's not a pivot. That's a total <laughs> absolute change, right? Yeah. And when I look at what you're doing, it seems like your primary goal is to help companies get out of their own way in telling their story that is most audience oriented rather than right. feature and benefit. I, I'll talk features and, and software stack all day long. And the audience wants to know an entirely different story. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. And I think one of the things that may help even drive that further is, you know, companies often talk about like their company narrative. And my thing is like, well, really what matters more than that is what's your customer narrative and really architecting around that. And then you can figure out like how, you know, what your whole internal narrative is, but why do you exist in context of the customer first? So when you say customer narrative, can you go a little bit deeper in what you really mean when you say that? I think like the most tangible output I can give you with that is like your pitch deck or your, your sales deck, right? which most companies, if they're using a presentation, will have it be more of like an identity deck 
where it'll be like, hey, here's who we are. Here's what we believe in. If even that, actually, I would say more in more cases, it's here's who we are. We've been in business for this many years. Here's our credibility. Here's all these logos of customers we've worked with. Here's our product. Here's our executive team and their, all their headshots. Here's more about our product. Here's some case studies. And sure, it's great for making yourself feel good, but the other person doesn't necessarily care. And so when I look at customer narrative, within the context of this whole like story stack process that I have, the linchpin of it is the deck where we say, okay, what is the appropriate, like not to misuse the word journey, but what's the appropriate journey? We need to tell them to get them to a point of saying, your product might actually make sense for me because you have such a intuitive and deep understanding of where they are at today and how you can get them to a, you know, to a different place. Well, for listeners of the nonfiction brand podcast who may not be familiar with the term deck or presentation deck, can you give a definition very quickly on what your startup optimized presentation deck actually consists of? The idea here, and, and I've got a whole like methodology around this, which funny enough is actually pulled from like the Hamilton musical. I think you can see my background here. I've got the Hamilton book, huge inspiration for me. And to give you an idea, like that kind of that format that I just shared with you that a lot of companies do when they do use a presentation, that's actually several years ago, I worked at a company and that was the presentation we were giving. And I even had an instance where we had this RFP where we made it to the top three. And it was with like, it was a global entertainment brand, huge company. I was leading the process and we had an opportunity to win this deal that like legit would have been like $10 million plus annually. It would the biggest deal in the company's history. To the extent that my boss actually told me, if we win this, we need to restructure your comp plan because you like you wouldn't need to work another day the rest of the year because you'd get paid so much. So that was the situation. And so we made it to the top three and then the top three, they, they flew us to their headquarters and we pitched their team, including the executive producer of like one of the most popular TV shows of all time. And we followed a very similar structure that we had like 45 minutes to pitch and slide one was, it was like our headquarters. And like, we have offices in six locations around the country. We've done programs in X amount of countries and we have this amount of expertise. Here are some different customers we've worked with in the past. Here's our executive team, right? We had the whole, we had the headshot slide where it was like combined experience, 500 years somehow. And then we went into our, like our technology and then our strategy and it totally fell flat. Like the executive producer of this show just like tore us a new one by the end of this. He was like, you got this wrong. You made all these assumptions. That was incorrect, et cetera. And it sucked being in that moment because you went in being like, oh, you know, what? by the end of this, we're gonna be like popping bottles. And it's not what happened at all. So what we did wrong was all of that. And, and that kind of more or less set me on a path from there to like figure out how to, like, how do you get this right? And how do you tell a story like a good customer narrative that's gonna make sense? And so that's where I found inspiration in like really in different places. One of them being the Hamilton musical, which when I came across that, I was like, this is a perfect story being told. And so then I looked at why does this work? Now, DP, have you seen Hamilton or have you heard? Oh, it? yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So can, it was fair to say you're a Hamilton fan. Oh, well, I recognize in the fact that you are young, scrappy and hungry. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm not going to make you wait for it to hear. What's <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, and so, you are in the room where it happens. So <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> okay. So in the, and for anyone listening, like I, there's going to be a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet, but it's also been on Disney plus for a while. So you had your opportunity to see it, but this shouldn't be that much of a spoiler you know, Hamilton dies at the end. I think people know at least that because, you know, it happened 300 years ago. But it, the way they construct that play 
the first thing they do, right? The, the, the first lyrics, the curtains open, Aaron Burr walks out and he says, how does a bastard orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman, right? Dropped in the middle of verse. And then the lyric ends with grow up to be a hero and a scholar. Right. So right away, like they open with like this thesis question or this thesis statement. They're like, Hey, how does someone who came from nothing end up becoming this great American hero? How does he overcome every single odd to build this legacy? And then the last lyrics of that opening song is Burr saying, I'm the damn fool that shot him. Right. Right. So what they do that's interesting is they give away the ending right up front. Yep. But well, but like, but also I, I will take issue with that because in general, everybody in the audience already knew it. You know, sure. anybody uh, it, it was so famous that the uh, Aaron Burr shooting Alexander Hamilton was so famous that the very first Got Milk spot that came out of Goodby Silverstein and Partners in uh, San Francisco featured a fictitious radio call in and to the fifth caller, you know, blah, blah, blah. Who shot Alexander Hamilton? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was such a famous thing that it became part of a Got Milk commercial. So if I'm going to take what you said about customer narrative, part of that customer narrative is we already know what's going to happen. It's a good point you bring up. What I'll say is this. If you know U.S. history, you know that already. People probably had some general idea, but I'll tell you before listening to Hamilton and before seeing it, in my memory, I was like, oh, I, I was like, oh, didn't he die in a duel with Thomas Jefferson? So even I got educated the first time I, I listened to it and I sure. listened to it before sure. seeing it. But so we, even if you know what's going to happen with him dying, you don't always, not everyone knows this is the guy who does the deed, right? So out of the gate, they give away the ending. And I would even say, even if, even for the people who already knew that, thinking about in a business customer setting, yeah, if they're coming to talk to you, they already have a pretty good idea of what you offer as a company, right? There's, there's some baseline level of education. Very few people come in with zero context at all. Right. So when they give away the ending first, it also doesn't send people home being like, well, I get it. I can leave now. Everyone's hooked and like, okay, well, how are we going to get there? And then the way they construct the play from there, there's a different elements of story, but I think the three pivotal moments are the three duels within the play. Right. Right. The first duel is literally designed to just introduce you to the concept of dueling and get you to agree that this is a thing that, that happened in 1700s America. Right. The, the lyrics of it are literally just explaining the, the rules of honor culture, honor code and, and dueling culture. And you like by the end of that song, you're like, OK, this is real. It was the thing might be kind of weird, but it was real. You like you agree to the, the terms of the world that they just set. Then second duel comes around a character you're emotionally invested in dies and you're like, oh, real things can happen here. Like stuff can go down. And this. this is this is intense. This is serious. Even though there were rules like stuff happened. Which then leads you to the third duel and from the other you know, elements of buildup in the story, by the time you get to the third duel, the ending feels inevitable. Like you're, you're anticipating it happening as opposed to like questioning why it would happen. Why? Because, well, guess what? In the beginning, they were like, hey, I, I shot him. He said, I shot him. So when it gets to the final duel with Burr and Hamilton, you're not like, oh my God, he really did shoot him. It's like, no, you knew it happened. You knew it's going to happen. And then what do people leave the theater talking about with their friends? They're not sitting there being like, I can't believe a vice president would do that. They're actually saying, wow, I didn't realize Hamilton was as significant of a figure in historical history as I ever, you know, in our history than I ever thought. And so what's the first question they ask in the thesis? Hey, how does this person who came from nothing grow up to be something and build this legacy? And then you leave the theater talking about his legacy. All right. And so when I saw that, I was like, this is the, this is a perfect framework. This is a perfect framework to model. 
And so when we look at putting a presentation into our sales process and developing that customer narrative, we can follow that same thread line. So you start by giving away the ending first. Like another way you can think about it is like, if this is Google Maps, you need to know the destination to type anything into Google Maps or for them to give you any directions. So give the ending away. Then you basically have your three duels, quote unquote, of your presentation. Duel one, define the world. Like what's happening? Like what are the terms of this world that you can get them to agree to within the context of the industry, whatever it might be. Then from there, you start to say, well, hey, here's where the world is going. Here's the direction the world is headed in relative to this industry. From there, you then go into your second duel. What's the impact of doing something? And what's the trade-off of doing nothing? And from there, you then get your third duel, which is the inevitable ending. That's when you bring in your product, your solution, and you talk through how you help companies align with whatever the shift in the world that's happening that you called out up front, your company does that thing. And then it feels inevitable. And then you can do your case studies from there. But the interesting thing in this formula, which is why I think it's just so radically different than most presentations, is 50 to 70% of the presentation, you're not yet talking about your company. You're talking about, hey, here's where you are today as a customer or people like you. Here are some things going on that you maybe you're not aware of. Maybe you are, but these are the changes that are happening. This is the trend in the world that's happening. And here's what it looks like if you do something about it. And then just the concept of doing something about it, the idea of doing something about it. Here's what it looks like if you do nothing about it. Do you want to do something about it? Okay, great. Well, guess what? We are that something. Here's who we are and here's what we do. So you spend more than half, at least half to more than half of the presentation, not even talking about yourself, which makes it feel more familiar, more comfortable, and more interesting for the other person to then want to intake whatever information about your brand, your product. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are, now available on Amazon.com. Too many people for too many years have labored in obscurity. Why? Because that's the way it's always been. Work for someone else and remain nameless, letting others take credit for your hard work. But in today's hyper-connected, everything is media world, that's all changed. In 1997, Tom Peters outlined the tenets of a new concept, personal branding. Fact is, if you're not actively branding yourself based on who you are, what you do, and how you do it, you are leaving opportunity on the table. But with this book and a little bit of work, that opportunity is 100% yours to own starting today. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding, highly recommended, a spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Well, it's funny that you pick, you know, probably the landmark musical of the past, I don't know, I want to say ever. 30 years. <laughs> well, yeah, certainly, certainly since, uh, I don't know, since the modern American musical was created, because you don't know this about me because we've just met. I, my degree's in theater, baby. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, so I have loved theatrical storytelling since forever. 
And I've recognized the power of it. And the other thing you may not be aware is my career has been in advertising and marketing as a copywriter for close to 30 years. And it's always been about telling the story in a way, not the way me, the creator of the product or service wants to tell it. It's how the audience has to engage with it. I, I, it's always an audience first mentality. And it sounds like that's exactly where you're coming from when you talk about the uh, customer narrative. Yeah, that's exactly right. Is prioritizing them, making it all about them. And this, to me, this stems from just like a larger philosophy that I have, which I think you'll appreciate given the background I just learned that you have, which is like my, my guiding philosophy on all of this is that we all need to stop thinking like entrepreneurs, stop thinking like executives, and instead think like an entertainer. Because oh, yeah. the entertainer, the performer, whatever you want to call it, right, has one goal in mind, and that is connect with the audience elicit an emotional response from them, get them to feel something. Without that, there's not, you know, there's no joy or value in doing the work. And so if you prioritize that idea of, hey, how do I make an emotional connection, elicit a response like that, it changes the way you think about talking about yourself and what you do. Yeah. Wow. This is really fascinating stuff. And by the way, everybody, I'm talking with Rajiv Nathan, who is the startup hype man or startup hype man. How do, how do you man. say that? I, how, how, well, <laughs> why don't you give me 30 seconds to a minute on what Startup Hypeman is all about? Yeah, for sure. We'd love to. So essentially, the CEOs and founders that I talk with pretty much every day will have some kind of vision in their head that they know their product, their brand is supposed to represent. But that is not being translated and articulated into the day-to-day -day messaging how the product is being delivered from, like, to their customers. So what that's doing is getting them caught in things like feature wars, um, holding them back from revenue goals, et cetera. And so where I'll come in is help them scale to whatever those goals are by helping them craft a scalable narrative that aligns the big picture vision to the boots on the ground, pitching, presenting, messaging, et cetera. Whether that is with a scaling up company, you know, needing help with their sales team, or whether that is with a early stage entrepreneur who's trying to pitch investors to raise money, we figure out what's the story that makes sense for this audience so that you can make that connection with them, right? You can become that entertainer, quote unquote, and elicit that response you're looking for out of them. Well, you know, you hit on something there that I think a lot of people who are self-professed all about story, all about storytelling, they don't necessarily spell out for people. And that is that the entertainment aspect of storytelling is probably the most important. And that doesn't mean you're juggling or, you know, that you've got belly dancing going on behind you during a presentation. It's that you're, you're inviting the audience into the story as an active participant. You know, even if they don't say anything, you need to bring them in to that story so that they accept the premises. You know, you, you talked about right. the uh, what was it? The 10 rules of, of dueling uh, from Hamilton? Was it nine rules? Yeah. Like, like the world is the first part of that, right? Like you have to yeah. set the world and get them to agree to the world. Exactly. To buy into it. It's like you watch Star Wars, you have to buy into the fact that you can go faster than light speed. Okay. Same thing in Star Trek. Okay. In Star Trek, you have to buy into the fact that you have these uh, this way to go from the ship to the planet that doesn't involve a shuttlecraft. It just beams you down. Okay, you can beam me down. It's the suspension of disbelief, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And, there, and there's a version of that in business. 
Exactly. So if in Harry Potter, you got to get people to understand that, oh, you need a wand to cast the spell. And if the wand is kicked out of the guy's hand, he might be able to do the spell, but it won't be as strong or something. Can I buy that? Well, if I suspend my disbelief enough, I can buy it. So this is a really fascinating conversation, and we're going to continue it on into next week's conversation as well. I'm talking to Rajiv Nathan, who is the startup hype man. I got to say that. I got to learn how to say that. Startup hype man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, for crying out loud. I, I, I'm talking with Rajiv Nathan, the startup hype man, who's located in Chicago, Illinois. And what types of people do you work with? So like I mentioned before, I work with the CEOs and their sales and marketing teams of scaling companies, as well as the individual entrepreneurs of earlier stage companies. Just depends on where you need the story you need to sell something. You need it to raise money. Well, it sounds like if you are one of those people, it would really behoove you to connect with Rajiv because he gets it. I'm telling you, he gets it. The whole power of storytelling, but not just telling a story, but engaging an audience. So Rajiv, how can people connect with you online? Do you have a preferred social channel? Yeah, I, I'm like almost annoyingly active on LinkedIn. I think I'm in that small small minority of people who LinkedIn is my most active social platform ahead of like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. So connect with me on there. You can just search my name or type in Raj Nation, R-A-J Nation, all one word, and I'll show up through that. Uh, the other thing that might be helpful as well, when you think about like how to develop that customer narrative, the best starting point for it is what's your elevator pitch, which perhaps, you know, in part two, we can talk about that. And I actually, I've, I've got a whole like guide, just a one pager I've put together for that for your audience in case they want to get take that first step at the very least. And they can find that at startuphypeman.com slash DP. That's great. So again, can you spell your name for me? Because I want to make sure people don't get lost online. Yeah. yeah. So if you search Rajiv Nathan, R-A-J-I-V, N-A-T-H-A-N, I'll come up, or you can type in Raj Nation, which is all one word, R-A-J-N-A-T-I-O-N. That's kind of like my stage name. Uh, I should show up under that as well. Great. Can you give us that URL for the one sheet you're talking about? Yeah. So it's called the K-Pasa Pitch Guide. And again, next week, perhaps we can get more into what that means, but startuphypeman.com slash DP. DP is the host of this show. Easy enough to remember, slash DP. Boom. That's good storytelling right there, Rajiv. Thank you so much for being my guest on this week's episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. Do not despair because Rajiv will be back next week for more conversation about all this and more. But for now, I'm DP Knuton for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, and I would love it if you would like, subscribe, refer it to others, but most of all, review this podcast because it helps other people find it. And he is Rajiv, Raj Nation, Nathan. Well, there you go. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.